The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. This is a continuation of a, a series that I've been teaching on, and uh, if you haven't been here, I'll, I'll let the cat out of the bag here in a minute. All right, so thank you. I appreciate each and every one of you for being here this afternoon. Um, as I uh, said, and those who have been here through every every lesson, I'm not sure if that's a punishment or a blessing, but I know many of you have. And this is actually the fourth uh, installment, right, of, of this, uh, lessons on discontentment, discontentment. And I told you from the start, the reason why I chose this topic is because this is something I struggle with. So why not study about it, and then share my findings with you, not just benefit myself, but also try to be a blessing to you. So that's what I've done, and, and I was telling uh, Sister Shelley, Brother Gender, before the service started this evening, that as I study, it just keeps growing, like it just, <laughs> I keep finding more and more and more, so I don't know, I may never finish, maybe, well, this is what we'll, we'll do every time pastor's out and I get up here, we'll see you. All right, discontentment, so part four why am I so unhappy? Why am I so unhappy? So just to review, for those of you who've been here, it's been, been a while, and those maybe who haven't been, in part one, we discussed how covetousness is the root or seed of our discontentment. And in part two, we analyzed our own level of discontentment. We passed a survey around and where we each got to evaluate our own selves and kind of do a, a self-check and see yeah, how high or how low that, that contentment or, depending on how you look at it, discontentment level was. And then in part three, we examined God's solution for discontentment. And we found that God's solution, it was right there staring us in the face. And First Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 6, the Bible speaks there of godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment. That's the answer to our discontentment. In short, godliness with contentment. There's all sorts of secret treasures. There's all sorts of hidden jewels in the scriptures. God leaves them there for us to, to find. We just gotta we just gotta dig a little bit and find them, right? Alright, and then part four this afternoon we'll consider the helps and resources God provides us with. So we do in fact possess the inner sufficiency to have joy and contentment in our lives without depending upon outward things or outward circumstances. So, again, reviewing a couple of the verses, text verses that we've looked at so far, Hebrews 13.5, where Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conversation, and in the, the King James, the Old English, as pastor likes to say, that means more than just conversation in most cases. Uh, in most cases, it means behavior, your total conduct, or your manner of life. So not just what you say, but everything that you do. The Bible says there in Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content, or in other words, be satisfied with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake you. And what a sweet promise. We talked about that precious promise that God gives us there in Hebrews 13.5. Uh, I mentioned how in the Greek, this statement is extremely emphatic, emphasizing the impossibility of the Lord deserting his people by combi combining five negatives in the expression. And in English, something is considered emphatic if there's two negatives. So here we have five negatives. So do you think God's trying to really get a point across to us? Yes, God, he certainly is. So the expression goes like this. I will never, no, never leave thee, nor ever forsake thee. What a statement, huh? What a promise. The Lord is all we need. If we have his presence, if we have his blessing, if we have his graces and tender care, we have everything. With nothing deficient or nothing lacking. The Lord says, be content with me, be content through me. I am all you need, and I will never leave thee. And then we also looked at 1 Timothy 6. 
the Bible says, but godliness with contentment or self-satisfaction or sufficiency. And what the Bible means by that is a God-dependent sufficiency. The Bible goes on to say that a God-dependent sufficiency is great gain. Godliness with contentment is exceeding great gain for us in every conceivable way and in ways we cannot even begin to conceive. We said godliness is reverence and love for God, which manifests itself by obedience to the Lord and submission to His will in our worship, in our service and conduct, and contentment is a byproduct or fruit of godliness. So what are the helps? What are the resources that God gives us so that we have the inner sufficiency to face living without depending upon outward things or circumstances for our joy and happiness? So that's what I want to talk about today. We're going to be talking about three things. You might say three tools that that God gives us. But as I said, three resources that God gives us so that we have the inner sufficiency we need to be perfectly sufficient in Him. Amen? Inner sufficiency number one, the Holy Spirit. And it seems like we've been talking a lot about the Holy Spirit. And whatever, you know, I, I see that, whether it's through pastor, brother Jorge, whoever is speaking, even myself, I think, you know, hey, God's trying to get us our attention about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There's something that we can all learn here from the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So if you would turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 21. Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 16 through 21. And I always view this afternoon Bible study as just that. It's a Bible study, right? We're, we're kind of getting into the the nitty-gritty of the Word, and we're, we're really looking at things, and so that's how I'll approach it this afternoon. Um, so we're going to get detailed, you know, as you might say, very expository as we, as we get into that. And this, this is what I like to do, right? This is a little different than the morning, the morning service. And I know you're here to learn the Word of God, so Let's, uh, let's get into it. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 through 21. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. Verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye be rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ with passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Alright, so looking at Ephesians chapter 3 and starting off in verse 16 there, Paul is praying. Right? He says that earlier on in the chapter in verse 14. But Paul is praying that he, the Lord, would grant you, which at that time was the saints at the church of Ephesus, the local church there in Ephesus, and by inference to us today, according to the riches of his glory. Or in other words, according to his glorious riches, with, which are without limitation. Paul goes on to say here, to be strengthened with might, by His Spirit in the inner man. The Lord, as a gift and blessing to His people, according to the abundance and fullness of His grace, mightily strengthens us by His power through the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us the Spirit strengthens the inner man, or soul, specifically the new nature and new man imparted to us at salvation. It is spiritual strength that should be most desired by Christians and that we are most in need of. Thus, Paul prays for spiritual strength for the Christians at the local church there at Ephesus. God is our strength, is he not? God is our sufficiency for daily living. And Paul prays on that account. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. See, we need prayer for that, that Christ would dwell in our hearts by faith. 
Matthew Henry stated, where his spirit dwells there, he, that is Christ, swells. Our faith is supernaturally given to us by God and is nurtured and strengthened by the Spirit who leads us to to fresh supplies of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Continuing in uh, verse 17, Ephesians 3.17, the Bible says that ye being rooted and grounded in love, that we would be settled and anchored in Christ's love, having been persuaded and assured of its reality. Well, how does that happen? The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit gushes out, infuses and disperses the love of God in our hearts. Romans 5.5 5 says, And hope maketh not ashamed. This kind of hope, biblical hope, never disappoints, nor disgraces. The Bible says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Continuing on, the Bible says, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. We're going to be looking at verse 18, but I'll back up a little bit just so it flows a little nicer. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love, verse 18, may be able to comprehend or more fully apprehend and understand with all saints what is the breadth, in other words, what's the width and length and depth and height, signifying the vastness, immensity, and greatness of God's love to us, that we would have an unwavering confidence in His love for us. I mean, when you think about those words, right? When you think about the words that are used to describe to us as descriptors of God's love, the breadth, the length, the the depth and height, I mean, doesn't that just seem awesome, right? Like it just swallows us up. The Bible goes on to say in uh, verse 19, And to know the love of Christ, which passes or surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ surpasses all knowledge. To know the love of Christ experientially, personally, and intimately as only His children can and do is superior knowledge to all other knowledge. Surpassing all other knowledge being more excellent in every way. It reminds me, you know, we can, we can know a lot, right? We can, we can know a lot. We can study the Bible, right? But like the Bible says to us in Corinthians 13, if we know not love, and I think of the love of God, if, if, we, if we've missed the love of God with all of our knowledge, with all of our studying, with all of our doctrine, which those things are important, all those things are important, We've missed the mark. It's the love of Christ. And the love of Christ surpasses all of that knowledge. Amen? The Bible goes on to say in verse 19 that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. In Job 11.7, the Bible says, Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find out the Almighty unto perfection? Can we know God perfectly and everything there is to know about God? Is that possible? No, it's not possible. Though our knowledge of Christ's love is imperfect and will remain so this side of heaven, we ought to be progressing in it that we would possess the fullness of His love and grace in our lives, that the richness and reality of His gifts, graces, and fruit in our life would be received for our benefit the benefit of others, and for the glory of God. Verse 20, the Bible goes on to say, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. What is the power that worketh in us? In in God's people, and the children of God, the indwelling Holy Spirit. God is all-sufficient and self-sufficient. El Shaddai. That's what that means when we, we hear that song, that, that was uh, the old Amy Grant song, El Shaddai, right? 
And that's what El Shaddai means, all-sufficient and self-sufficient. God is all-sufficient and self-sufficient and provides us with the inner sufficiency we need through the inner workings of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And, and, and Paul, as he commonly does, finishes off the chapter in a doxology a praise to God. Praise God for these things, right? For these truths. For the love of God. For the Holy Spirit. For these great, these great doctrines, right? Other faiths. Alright, so how do we have the inner sufficiency to face living without depending upon outward things or circumstances for our joy and happiness? We said, number one, the Holy Spirit. Inner sufficiency resource number one, the Holy Spirit. Inner sufficiency resource number two, the Word of God. The Word of God. So turn with me, if you will, now to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 15 through 17. And these are pretty familiar verses. But there are deep, uh, deep, significant truths that we need to be reminded of in these verses. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. The Bible says here in verse 15, and that from a child, and if you literally look that up in the Greek, it means infant, but certainly a young child, either from infancy or, or when Timothy was a young child. The Bible says, Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Now, how did Timothy know the Holy Scriptures? He wasn't saved until much later in life. God gave him repentance and faith. He, was, he had to learn it from somebody, amen? From good, godly parents who loved the Lord. Well, in this case, his mother was a Jewish, right? A Jewess. And uh, she, of course, Jews believe in the Old Testament Scriptures. She taught Timothy the Scriptures. He was taught the Scriptures from a young age by his mother. And it's, pretty, it's custom with the Jews that at approximately the age of five that they'd start teaching their children the Scriptures. And I would say, how much more, as Christian parents, should we teach our children the scriptures at a, a young age. We'd be good to follow that example that the Bible leads. And I remember when our kids were young, you know, we started off with just le- reading them little like prayer books and things like that and little accounts of the Bible, right? And just to get them familiar with scripture. And it's amazing if you've taught kids, you know how much they can pick up at, you know, those young minds, how much they can learn and how much they can pick up and, and hold on to. But Timothy, through his mother being a Jew and believing in the Old Testament scriptures, um, uh, taught Timothy and he became, he grew in his familiarity, his knowledge, his understanding of the Word of God. It was ultimately later on through the divine influence and assistance of the Holy Spirit of God that Timothy's understanding of the scriptures was open unto him. As I say, Christian parents, and not just Christian parents, but being a a grandparent now, I I think about this myself. We'd be wise to follow the example that God has given us in Scripture of teaching our children earlier in their life. The Word of God for the Scriptures are a principal part of bringing up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Ephesians 6.4 says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. But bring them up in the nurture. That word means education or training. The nurture and admonition or counsels, warnings of the Lord. Something else we're told here in uh, verse 15. The Bible tells us the Scriptures are holy. They're holy. The source or author of the Scriptures is holy. Its content is holy. Its purpose is holy. Praise God for the Word of God. The Scriptures are holy. Continuing on, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. Natural man does not possess, nor can he gain, possession of salvation independent of God. No, not even by reading and studying the Holy Scriptures. 
1 Corinthians 2.14, we spoke about that, we talked about that recently in the afternoon Bible study that we had. It is only the, by the power, efficacy, and working of the Spirit of God through the Word of God, man can come into possession of salvation. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. And in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you, for your sake. God's word has power through the power. It's energized, empowered, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Continuing in verse 15, And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. There is no salvation, there is no peace. There is no comfort, nor joy in anything or anyone else but the Lord Jesus Christ, and this by way of repentance and faith in Him. Verse 16 goes on to say that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is divinely breathed out by God, or God breathed. John Gill said, quote, The Scriptures are the breath of God, unquote. Written by the Spirit of God. Second Peter one twenty one. For the prophecy came not, meaning the Scriptures themselves, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. The Scriptures are not a book written by men. They're not a book written by the will of man. God used men to write it, but the Scriptures are the Word of God. They are God the Scriptures are God's Word. Scripture, as I said, is a divine revelation that was received or breathed in from the Lord Himself. Therefore, His Word is unequaled in its authorship. It is truly unique in its authorship. It's unique in its excellence, in its infallibility, and in its truth. The Bible is truth. The Bible is the source of all truth. It is the standard of truth. Without the Word of God, there is no truth. Verse 16 continued. The Bible goes on to say, So we, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. In other words, it's helpful. It's advantageous to us, to others, for doctrine that is teaching us the principles and truths taught by Christ and his apostles for life and godliness. And I know Tristan, my, my oldest son, I might have mentioned this before, he has a shirt. It says, Doctrine Matters. And I love that shirt. It's simple and to the point. But we're not, it's, it's, it's vain and useless to follow our Culture's doctrine is vain and useless to follow what we think and how you know how we sh- how we think we should live. All that matters is what God says. That's all that matters. God's word is profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for everything we need in life. It goes on to almost give us a grocery list here of of the value of the Word of God. It goes, the Bible goes on to say here, for reproof, that means for rebuking us of a fault, whether it's a faulty behavior or whether it's a faulty belief that we've assumed. The Bible also is good for correction. And uh, that's something that we used to like to do when we discipline our kids is get the Bible out and show them from the Scriptures what they did was wrong and why, why it is wrong, Right? And that's pretty simple, because God, right here, God says it's wrong. (laughs) That's why it's wrong, right? For correction, and it's not just children that need the Word of God. It's all of us. I don't know about you, but I need to be corrected often. Correction means a straightening up again. Teaching us how to correct our ways for for, uh, restoration, our sins, faults, uh, behavior, beliefs, thinking, decision making, and judgment. Bible goes on to say for instruction or training in righteousness, for training in godliness. 
For instruction in the way God wants us to live, teaching us how we can glorify and please God with our lives. The Scriptures are God's wisdom to us, thus the Scriptures are thoroughly sufficient to impart to us everything we need to know to live a contented, joyful life. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about being content in our life. Verse 17, That the man of God may be perfect. Again, in the KJV, that means spiritually complete or spiritually mature. That the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly or thoroughly furnished, fully equipped unto all good works, that we would be fully equipped unto every good work for the glory of God and the benefit of others. Take note, it is the Word of God that thoroughly equips us for His service, for the Christian life, for life. When we are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Romans 15.4 says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime before in the Old Testament Scriptures were written for our learning, that we, through patience, through cheerful, hopeful endurance, is what the Bible is saying here when it speaks of patience. The Bible's on to say, and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Or in other words, a confident expectation. As pastors said recently, our hope is, it's not a, and I hope so, it's a sure hope. Our faith is a sure hope based on the truth of God's Word. And the Scriptures, the Scriptures give us this comfort. God supplies us with the comfort that we need through the Scriptures. It is the Scriptures that give us comfort and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, a sure, confident, grounded, and anchored hope. There's many hymns that we sing about that. The solid rock and so forth. I thought of the hymn, Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Psalm 119.81 My soul fainted for thy salvation, but I hope in thy word. The reason why we don't faint, the reason why we won't faint is because we trust in the word of God. We have the word of God as one of our internal resources to strengthen us. Coupled with the Holy Spirit of God working through the word. to know God and the things of God and to obtain full assurance of them, we must continually read and study the Word of God as good Bereans did. Back in the New Testament, Acts 17.11, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the Word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. We must search the Scriptures daily. Regularly, constantly, and prove God, and God will bless. God will fulfill all His promises to us. We cannot expect sustaining, abiding joy and contentment in our life if we do not read our Bible with regularity. It's kind of like driving around on empty. You can't get too far on empty. You might be able to get a little ways. You might be able to get somewhere, but you're not going to get too far on an empty gas tank. God's words bring comfort, joy, peace, and hope to our souls and are therefore priceless, irreplaceable, and ought to be cherished by us. All men need hope and purpose in order to keep living, Otherwise, they will not live, or they will not live well. In order to fulfill, or, excuse me, in order to fill this void, mankind substitutes the source of real hope and joy found, found only in the Holy Scriptures. With many futile, vain, worthless, imagined beliefs, Romans one twenty one talks about imaginations, and not only. Futile, vain, worthless, imagined beliefs, but we also like to fill our lives with temporal things. 
that are unable to provide lasting joy or comfort to our soul. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. We talked about the Spirit working in us. And here we have the word of God also working in us. The Holy Spirit works effectually producing, that is producing the intended effect by and through the Word of God that is in us, or at least ought to be in us. Colossians 3.16 says that the Word of Christ dwell in you. Let the Word of Christ have a fixed residency within you. Richly or abundantly in all wisdom. Ephesians 6.17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. A Christian who goes to battle, goes to life without his weapon, the Word of God, is ill-equipped and ill-prepared to engage in battle. You're ill-prepared to face the world and the, the culture that we're in. To face the the cultural war, the, the attacks against God, the hatred for God and the things of God. How will we stand without the sword of the Spirit? Inner sufficiency resource number one, we talked about the Holy Spirit. Inner sufficiency resource number two, the Word of God. And then lastly, but certainly not in importance, is prayer. Prayer. We talked about how, when we, when we looked at Ephesians 3.16, we talked about, we back up a little bit in verse 14, that Paul said he was praying. The Bible says he bowed his knees, praying for spiritual strength for the saints of God at Ephesus. We need to pray for spiritual strength. We need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for others. We need to pray for spiritual strength. Ephesians 6.18 The Bible says, praying always. This is the win of prayer. We are to pray always. The Bible goes on to say, with all prayer and supplication. This is the what? All types of prayer. Public or private, formal or informal, planned, unplanned, or sudden or spontaneous prayer. You ever, someone just sends you a text. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's pastor about his wife and you hear she's in the hospital and you just stop what you're doing and right there and then you pray. Spontaneous prayer, right? Or contemporaneous prayer. Verbal or nonverbal prayer. And Pastor mentioned recently when we're just thinking about the Lord, we're communing with Him. And certainly, as he said, it shouldn't be the only type of prayer that we have. We still should have times of, of formal prayer. But when we're meditating upon God or thinking about God, we're communing with the Lord. So nonverbal prayer. And all parts of prayer. You know what prayer means? Prayer means worship. Prayer is a form of of worship. So what are the, you know, what are the ingredients, what are the parts that go into prayer worship? Well, praise, thanksgiving, repentance and cleansing for sin, and request. Those are what the Bible, that's what the Bible means when it says supplications, right? Request for others, and certainly your needs as well. So Ephesians 6.18 says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. That's the how. That's the how to pray. In the will of God, from the heart, in sincerity, and faith in God. Matthew 21, 22, with the motive to glorify God. James 4, 3, through the assistance of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 26 through 27. Bible's on to say, and watching 
thereunto. Well, what are we supposed to watch for regarding prayer? And watching thereunto for answers to and opportunities for prayer, as well as necessities for prayer. The Bible tells us in Matthew 26, 41, that we are to watch and pray. We are to have a disposition or natural proclivity to pray. The Bible goes on to say, with all perseverance, we are to have a determined steadfastness in prayer, depending upon God. The Bible goes on to say, and supplication for all saints. Again, praying not only for ourselves, but also for others. We find in Luke 22, 31-32, Jesus praying for Peter that Satan would not sift him as wheat. And the Bible tells us in John 17, 9, that Jesus prayed for all of us. If Jesus prayed for us for strength, don't you think we need to pray for ourselves for strength? Don't you think we need to pray for others? Lest we fall, lest we fall to our own flesh, lest we fall to outside temptations, to demonic oppression. The Bible goes... Excuse me. The Bible says in Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7, next two verses that we'll look at regarding prayer. Philippians 4, 6 through 7, the Bible says, Be careful for nothing. We talked about this earlier on in uh, maybe the first or second message. I'm not sure, but the Bible says, Be careful. That means don't be anxious, don't be worrisome in anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, we should always, constantly, for every need and want, Bringing it before the Lord, there's nothing that we can't bring before the Lord. And we bring that before the Lord, how? By prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Matthew Henry said this, quote, When anything burdens our spirits, we must ease our minds by prayer. Unquote. That we would not sin or be overcome by our troubles. If we do not pray, if we do not pray for ourselves, if we don't, do not pray for strength for others, we will fall. We will fall. Now, as Peter fell, Peter fell, didn't he? Jesus prayed for him. He didn't stay down forever. We find him on Pentecost preaching that great sermon where many souls were saved. Are we better than the apostles? We certainly aren't. We need to pray. We need to pray or we will fall. Satan will sift us as we. Philippians 4, we looked at verse 6. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, the peace that comes from God, which He gives exclusively to His children, which passeth, again, surpasseth all understanding, surpassing our ability to fully comprehend or conceive the blessedness of God's peace. The most genuine, deepest kind of peace that ministers to the soul. That's God's peace. A peace that can't be found anywhere else but in the Lord. The Bible says, shall keep, will protect, will guard us, shall keep your hearts and minds through or in Christ Jesus. Prayer is a means God uses to preserve us in the Lord Jesus Christ. To give us the inner sufficiency we need when we commit everything into the loving hands of our Father and prayer results in assurance and peace in our hearts and minds and eternal quietude with contentment. I wanted to read to you, I didn't, I didn't have it here, but Isaiah 26, in verses 3 through 4, I just found these verses, just such, such powerful verses about just not only prayer, but just keeping our mind steadfast upon the Lord. Isaiah 26, verses 3 through 4, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. 
Trust ye in the Lord, that's the Lord Jehovah, forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Matthew 21-22, Jesus tells us regarding prayer, and all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing ye shall receive. When we pray, we must pray in the strength of faith, fully trusting the Lord to answer our prayer. James 5.16 says, Confess your faults one to another. When we sin against a brother or sister in Christ, we're to confess that sin. Sins committed one against another should be repented of and confessed. In other words, they should be acknowledged and declared, fostering forgiveness and reconciliation. The Bible goes on to say, not only confess your faults, but what? Pray for one another that ye may be healed. We're to pray with and for a brother or sister in Christ that has offended. We're to pray for one another bodily, for health issues, etc., and spiritual issues. The Bible goes on to say, I'm going to back up, I'll start from the beginning. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer. The effectual, fervent prayer. What is effectual, fervent prayer? It's prayer that's impassioned. It's ardent, earnest prayer from the heart. Importunate prayer. You know what that means, importunate? Like we're begging God. Kind of like when maybe your child grabs your pants and won't let go. Or maybe, maybe a, a child, right? Someone you know. Maybe you don't have kids, but maybe someone you babysat or something. Yeah, they won't let go. We're hanging on. We're not letting go. And that doesn't just mean like, we're, we're going to, you know when you ask your dad or your parents enough times for something, sometimes they just appease you at some point, right? And just, okay, right? And God, God's like that too. God knows what's good for us. He knows what's not. He's never going to give us something that's, that's not good for us. But he wants us to come to him and plead and plead and plead with that impassioned prayer, that sincere prayer. And God delights to answer that kind of prayer. Impassioned, ardent, earnest prayer from the heart, importunate, dogged, insistent, and persistent prayer as opposed to cold formal, indifferent, or lukewarm prayer, lifeless, faithless, or even routine prayer. Sometimes we get in this bad habit, especially like when I notice when it comes to certain things like meals, where you're just like, thank you, Lord, for this food, this great, or, you know, bless this plate, you know, whatever. But we just do kind of a quick prayer, and it's half-hearted, right? And it's, it's routine. We want to we wanna try to break from that, right? Prayer proceeding from the heart and faith through the workings of the Holy Spirit of God as opposed to repeatedly reciting a written prayer from a card or a book. And we've all seen that. We walk into the Christian bookstore and we see those little prayer cards, prayer of Jabez or whatever on a card. Or, you know, growing up Catholic, we had all sorts of written prayers. that You know, we had Hail Mary, Our Father, you know, and then they had all those sorts of, you know, uh, you know, cards and things like that too. That's just formal, lifeless, meaningless repetition. That means nothing to God. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, one who's been justified and clothed with the righteousness of Christ by the grace of God, though we're yet to be perfected. We're certainly not without sin. The point is, we rely upon His grace in prayer. Not our merit. Not our sinless perfection. It's all. We rely completely on the grace of God. Even though we're saved, we're saved sinners. Amen? We're still sinners. The Bible finishes off this verse the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
Thus, we are given Elijah's example for our encouragement and to excite us to prayer in James 5, the very next two verses, right? James 5, 17 through 18. If you look at the, the next two verses there, we're given the example of Elijah when he prayed for the rain to cease. The Bible says Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are. Me, Elijah was an imperfect, sinful man, just like, just like we are. Though he was translated out of this world, he was still a man, he was still flesh, and he was still a sinner. So on that account, he was no different from many of us. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. The Bible says he prayed earnestly. You notice he, how did he pray? He, had, he prayed fervently, right? Earnestly, that kind of impassioned prayer that we were just talking about. And what was God's response? Did God hear Elijah? Well, you know God always hears. Did God answer that prayer? Yes, he did. The Bible says that it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. It was a powerful prayer. In verse 18, the Bible says, and he prayed again. God answered again. And isn't that what God has told us in the Scriptures? That if we pray like this, if we, if we meet his, God's requirements, so to speak, for prayer, God will answer our prayers. He delights in giving his children things. He delights in answering our prayer. God delights in blessing us. One commentator said that prayer is the key that opens and shuts heaven. But we find here, Elijah prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. We do, we are, we, I promise you, we're, we're closing up here. We're, we're closing this up just a few minutes. I want to wrap up this idea of effectual prayer. Effectual, fervent prayer prevails with God having great power through the assistance and intercession of the Holy Spirit. The mediation of Christ with the Father and the promise of God to answer this type of prayer. John Gill said, Prayer is the breath of the spiritual man and no other than the reverberation of the Spirit of God in him. And such prayer God cannot fail of success. Jude one twenty says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves. And of course, we are co-laborers with God, the Bible says. For example, in 1 Corinthians 3.9, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, persevering and progressing in the faith through the consistent study of the Word of God. And the Bible doesn't stop there, though. It goes on, right? and says, Praying in the Holy Ghost. So we find here in Jude 1.20 that it's consistent with Ephesians 6.18 that we read just a, a little ways back. Consistent with and reiterating what is said there. Where in Ephesians 6.18 the Bible talks about praying in the Spirit. Here, praying in the Holy Ghost. Similar language. Praying, but praying correctly in the manner that God has prescribed. Praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying under His guiding, leading influence according to the will of God as expressed in His Word. In faith, fervency, and with untiring importunity. We talked about that persistent pleading with God. When we pray in this way, God builds us up in the faith so that we possess all the spiritual strength and sufficiency that we need in Him. Romans 12, 12, last verse. We're finishing up here. We're on the home stretch. Romans 12, 12, rejoicing in hope. We keep finding this hope coming up. It's so important. Our eternal sure hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Rejoicing in hope. The hope of being forever with the Lord in heaven. Patient in tribulation. Continuing instant in prayer. Praying continually, consistently, without ceasing, never giving up on prayer. We got it? We are in constant need, constant need of fresh supplies of grace and strength from God 
which we receive through prayer. Does God give us things without prayer? Yeah, He does. God is good. God is gracious. But prayers, we're told, is the clear way, direct way to get things from God. And we learned it pleases God. Prayer pleases God. Prayer is the is the way that God designed for us to ask Him for things and receive. Ask and receive. The Holy Spirit, we said, the Word of God, and prayer are the resources God provides us with so that we have the inner sufficiency to be content and joyous in our daily lives. Amen? Amen. We'll have a quick word of prayer. They're going to do one last song, and then we're going to dismiss. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the Word of God. We thank you for the sure hope we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the indwelling Spirit that never leaves us. You don't have to run to us, Lord, because you're, you're with us always. You never leave us, and we're thankful for that. We praise you for the precious Word of God. We praise you for prayer, which you've sanctioned and predetermined that this is how we can ask you for things and, and receive things from you. We thank you that you're not a heavenly father that wants to just, just waiting to kick us and beat us down. No, no, quite the opposite. You're a loving heavenly father who desires to bless us and even bless us beyond we can even imagine. We just thank you and praise you for edifying us and encouraging us through the word of God tonight. Help us to please you and glorify you as we depart tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Broner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.